remember a lot of good stuff. So today we're picking up in um, Samuel, and we're going to talk about uh, David and Bathsheba. That's where we're headed to today. But what do we know so far about Samuel, the book of Samuel? What happened so far in the book of Samuel? Anybody remember who Samuel is? He's a prophet. Hey, good job, good job. That's awesome. All right, and, and he was one of the, he was actually Israel's last judge. You guys remember that? Like he was the last guy to set up and, and be that guy. He anoints a king, and who's that first king he anoints? Saul. Saul makes a fatal mistake. What is Saul's mistake? Anybody remember? He doesn't obey. Samuel tells him, hey, listen, I'm going to come to you. I'll make the sacrifices. Then you can go to war. Instead, uh, what Saul sees is his people are starting to leave. They get scared of the Philistines. They take off running. And so he says, hey, I'll make the sacrifices myself. And God doesn't like that. Samuel doesn't like that. God says, hey, you could have been the king forever, but you will now no longer be that. And I've ripped the kingdom from your hands. And then we get King David, right? We get King David. Um, last week we saw Saul uh, chasing after David, and Saul was uh, using the bathroom, and David had a chance to kill him. And what happens there? David doesn't do it, right? He doesn't listen to his friends or anything like that. David says, hey, listen, um, I had a chance. I didn't do it. I, I was following what God's told me. I, I'm trying to chase after him. I don't mean you any harm. So Saul says, hey, it's all good, bro. Gives him a big hug, says, I love you. Nothing else is going to happen, right? Kind of. Like, it does happen for like 10 seconds. He stops chasing them. But then he just continues chasing them. And then even more happens. And where we pick up today is um, King David actually has become king. Here's what happens. Saul and his sons go off to war. They actually end up getting killed in war. Um, Saul actually kills himself because he gets wounded and he doesn't want a Philistine to have victory over him. So he falls on his own sword. It's one of these crazy things in the, the Bible. And then Jonathan actually dies at that war too. And so now David takes over as king. And we see David as being a successful king. And you guys know the stories about David. You can go to the next slide there, right? Like the most famous story we know about David is David and Goliath, right? And, and it's a fascinating story. If You should go back and read that if you ever get time. I think it's in uh, 1 Samuel 15. Go check that one out. <coughs> but today, I want to take you to the story of um, who's he, uh, this, this, this story where David was great, but he goes to his worst moment. This is one of his worst moments in all of his life. Uh, he makes a bad decision, and, and you're going to see why throughout this. And I, I don't want to lie to you guys. I don't want to sugarcoat this too much to you. So if you're younger in here, um, there's going to be parts of this that are going to be a little bit more extreme than you're used to. But I, I want to give you the full story. I want you to think about it. I want you to just dive into this a little bit. I want you to think about um, Bathsheba some. I want you to think about who she was and, and, and what happened in her life. And, and we're going to just dive into it from there. Okay? So if you have a Bible, open that up. 2 Samuel chapter number 11. I'm going to pray to kick this thing off, and then uh, we'll go into God's word. God, I thank you so much for a chance for us, Lord, to look at your word right now. God, don't let these words be mine. God, let them be yours. Speak directly to our students, to our leaders right now. God, the words you want them to hear. Lord, let them see you in this passage. Let them know what they can take away, how they can apply this to their own lives, God. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. There's five takeaways for you guys today. Five takeaways. I'm not going to give them to you right now. I'll give them to you when we're done with the scripture. All right, five takeaways, really simple takeaways, but they're so true. And if you listen to them, they will change your life. Kicking things off, though, 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 1. In the spring of the year, when the kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Hey, why is that important? 
think kings should go to battle, right? You think so? You agree? Yeah? How many of you guys agree? The kings should be at battle. Absolutely, right? So instead, though, now listen. David says, hey, my men are good. My men, I know they got this. My men have taken over. They don't need me there. I can kick back and chill and let them do it. All right? It's a red flag for the reader right here. It says David was now more interested in himself than he was in the kingdom. This is written right here so you guys would see this. This is an obvious thing. If you're reading scripture, you want to pick these things up, okay? Verse number two. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of the bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was. He was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Things just got complicated right here, right? Why did things just get complicated? David just saw a woman, and he's like, hey, how you doing? Now, was David married? Yes, he was, okay? Should David be looking on his rooftop at women out there and asking about them? Probably not, okay? Let's just be honest, okay? Like, it's kind of creeperish that he's doing this, right? And also, can we just point out, there's something biblical about taking naps, okay? All right, it says that David took a nap here. It's pretty cool. He did all this stuff. He takes a nap. He wakes up. Then he starts looking. He's kind of weird on the top there, okay? They didn't have indoor plumbing. That's why Bathsheba's on top of a roof. That's why even at this point, something you need to understand, okay? I just want to help you guys understand. This wasn't like her um, trying to like seduce the king or anything, okay? Um, it, it says if you read on to this, you, you'll actually understand this a little bit. She's taking a bath to, to cleanse herself so that she can actually go to the, uh, to the worship, to go worship because she's been unclean for the past week. Okay, that's what we know about this. And we don't know that she's fully naked or anything like that. We just know that she's trying to get herself clean in this moment. And, and so um, we don't know enough about that, but we know, here's the thing, Bathsheba, what she's doing is a, is a private thing. And when David sees this, this is an issue. David, he knows what he's doing. He's being creepy. And um, he uses his authority as the king to find out about this woman who called his attention. Okay. And then I want you to look at something, all right? What are we told of this woman that he finds out? Who is she? Her name is? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. You guys, hey, you're killing it right now, okay? Hey, who's her dad? Okay. What, do, you get, do you know anything about her dad? If you start to continue to read in Scripture, what we find out is actually... Her dad is one of David's chief advisors. We find out that, that, that like, he's pretty high up. We find out that, like, everybody kind of knows who he is. And David would absolutely know who he was. And then not only that, okay, look, there, there's a warning here to David. So they come back, they tell David, this woman who you're talking about, this woman who you're inquiring about, this is one of your chief advisor's daughters, but not only that, who else is she? She's the wife of Uriah. Now, let me ask you a question, and I think you guys will get this one pretty quick because you're pretty smart people in the room, okay? If someone is the wife of someone, should you approach them about a relationship? 
No. Okay, I want you to understand. Let me talk directly to my older boys right now. No. No. Okay? The answer is no. All right? If they're in a relationship, specifically marriage bounded together before God, you do not talk to them. Okay? Now let me give you an example. Okay? I've got a couple in the room right now. There's actually two couples in the room right now. Okay? I'm going to go interview a couple of people real quick. Hey, Frank, if a guy came and started talking to Miss Elaine um, and he was being, uh, you know, a little bit more uh, advanced, you going to punch him in the face? No, she will. <laughs> she will. That's awesome. That's awesome. Coming back to Mark. Mark, same question to you. What's happening there? Mark's like, please put that mic out of my face. Uh, it's not going to be pretty. Just say that, right? No, won't yeah, be pretty. It's not going to be pretty, right? Why? Why is that? Well, because this is our person. This is who we've committed our life to be with, right? And this is Uriah. You know who Uriah is? Guys, we find out more about Uriah. Okay, we're going to learn a lot more about him. But look at it one more time. He's, he, he, he's a different person. Let's continue reading just for a second, okay? You see, David, now he's starting to understand. Now he's starting to know this conversation needs to be done because there's no way David is going to betray a family, right? Picking up in verse number four. <clears throat> then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace... He slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant. She sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. This is a terrible part of David's life. This is absolutely the worst thing that we see happen with him. We see David up on the rooftop lusting. We see David hearing something that he should have known, that should have stopped everything that happened right here. But instead, what he does is he says, I want it. I want it more. Now, let me say something, okay? Let me, let me help you guys really quick, okay? Every single one of us, pinch yourself. Pinch yourself. I don't care where you pinch yourself. Pinch yourself. That's called flesh. Every single one of us has fleshly desires. Okay, don't pinch the other people around you. Don't pinch the other people around you, guys. The girls, I don't have to tell that to. The guys, I do. <laughs> Jennifer, please stop it, okay? We know it's you. Okay, listen, listen, stay with me just for a second. We all have fleshly desires. Now, some of you guys, your desires are going to be closer to what David's are right now. Some of you guys, your desires are a little bit different right now. But every single one of us, we have the potential to give in to what we want more than what we care about, what everybody else wants, and even more importantly, what God wants from us. Do you think God wanted David to give in to his desires of lusting after this woman? No, okay? The answer is absolutely not. But we see David not thinking with his right mind here. We see David not listening to the Spirit. We know that David's a man after God's own heart. But he messes up here. That should give us some encouragement to know that it's okay when we mess up, that God still forgives us. But we'll get there in a little bit, okay? So David calls Bathsheba over. Now Bathsheba comes and we don't know a lot about this encounter. All we know is that he sends messengers to get her. Okay? We know that as the king, if, 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 put yourself in Bathsheba's place, okay? I know it's, it's, it's weird for you guys as guys, but put yourself in her place, okay? Just say, just for a moment, 
you're living 3,000 years ago in this little kingdom. And the king has sent messengers to you. Your husband's off at war. And the king has a message for you. And the messengers are there and they bring you back to the king. What do you assume the king is going to tell you? You assume the king is going to tell you something about your husband. Right? Maybe even your dad. But then we see David does something completely different here. We see that David then sleeps with her. And I'm not going to go into this. I'm not going to go crazy into this. But what we see <coughs> is David messes up. David, all of this falls on him. You'll see this even a little bit later. It falls directly on David. Now, David's action messes up so bad, he gets her pregnant, and then all of a sudden, she sends this message back to him. While they're still at war, David comes up with a scheme to make it seem like Uriah is having this baby with Bathsheba. So he calls him back home. He invites him. He says, hey, man, I'm so glad. Like, tell me about what's happening in the war. Oh, you're doing so great. Thank you so much. Hey, why don't you go spend the night at your house? Go see your wife. You ain't seen her in a minute, right? Go, go ahead, please. Uriah, being such an honorable man, says there's no way while my men are out there on the front of the war that I'm going to go home. So he sleeps at the front of the palace. The second night, it actually says David gets him really, really drunk. And he says, hey, go see your wife. And Uriah, being such an honorable man, says, no, I'm not going to do that. All right? Even in his, his drunkard spy, he doesn't do it. And so David, he does what any just terrible king would do right here. <coughs> To cover up his sin, guess where he goes? Murder. Seriously, it's terrible. What he does is he writes a letter to the commander of the army. He says this. He says, hey, look, when the war is at its worst, I want you to put Uriah at the front of the line. I don't want you to tell him this. He writes this letter. He hands it to Uriah. Uriah takes it to his commander. This is his death sentence. He says, and when it's at its worst, pull all the men back and leave Uriah there. So imagine what happens if you become one fighting even a hundred. One fighting a thousand, and you're the only guy right there. Everybody else has fallen back. He dies. He kills him. That's what we see in verses 15 through 17. Go ahead, throw that up. Station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is the fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men would be fighting. And when the enemy's soldiers came out to the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with other, several other Israelite soldiers. At this moment, this was a death trap. This was to ensure that his death looked unintentional, right? David didn't care. And when he got the news that Uriah was dead, David didn't care about that. Actually, here, here's what it says. It says that he was relieved. Now he could claim this baby was Uriah's and that no one else could say otherwise. It didn't matter that the number of men were murdered to cover up his crime. What this was, is it was just absolutely disgusting, right? And then we see Bathsheba. She's described as mourning the death of her husband. Bathsheba was just heartbroken, right? But David says, okay, hey, I'm going to bring her in. Like, like, I really do care about her. And he brings her in. And he marries her. And not that it makes it better, but that's what he does. He says, okay, 
I know this is my soon-to-be baby, and I actually do care about her, so I'm going to marry her, and he thinks he's making things right. Now, let me ask you a question. Has David been wrong so far? We would all say yes, right? We would all say yes. He thought it was done, but check this out. The chapter ends with this, verse 27. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Hmm. Just for a second. I mean, I know that we're not kings, right? You're not a king, I'm not a king. But we are sons and daughters of the king if you're Christian in this room right now, if you believe in Jesus. So that means he sees your sin. That means he knows what's happening. Let's keep going. 2 Samuel chapter 12, we see Nathan comes and he confronts David. Nathan is the prophet of this time, right? And Nathan comes and he, he, he says, all right, let me tell you what's happening here. So here's what happens. Um, Nathan does as God tells him to do, and he boldly confronts David. And David repents right there. He confesses his sin, and even as far as he's fallen, even as just much as he's done wrong, we see in this moment he's broken over his sin and that he still desires God in his heart. And Nathan tells him, hey, you're going to be forgiven. But the actions still have consequences. You see, David's broken over what he's done because here's what happens is Nathan comes in and he tells this story of a, a rich man traveling about a sheep. And he says, hey, listen, like um, he goes into this poor guy's house and he says, hey, this guy has one sheep, and this rich man has plenty, and this, this rich guy takes the one sheep that this poor guy has. And then he has that guy killed, and he, and he says, hey, David gets so mad when he hears this story. He's like, who is it? Bring him here. We're going to kill him now. And David, or Nathan tells him, he says, hey, that man is you. And that's when David realizes, I've really messed up. I've really messed up. Like, God, I am broken right now and, and you'll see Psalm 51 is a is a complete just song that he writes about just how broken he is and how just messed up he is over this whole situation but Nathan tells him he says listen your sin still has consequences verses 11 and 12 say this this is what the Lord says because of what you have done I will cause your own household to rebel against you I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it in secretly. You did it secretly. But I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. This was tough. You guys heard it in the video. From, his, for, from David's moments on from this, his whole family was just messed up. One of his sons rapes one of his daughters. His, his other son then kills that son. And then his other son tries to take over the kingdom. And he, he makes a march for the kingdom. And it makes David go into hiding. And all this happens because of how David did this with Bathsheba. And not only that, the baby that they had also dies. It's an absolutely terrible story. So what do we learn from this? How can we apply this to our life? Because like I said, like, <coughs> hopefully none of you guys are in a spot where you're doing this. Hopefully none of you guys are, are letting your lust overtake you so much so that you actually kill for your lust. But I do think there are moments in our life where we make sin so attractive that, that, that we can't focus on anything else 
and we mess up and we feel terrible about it and we don't know what to do with it. So I want to give you five takeaways. Number one, okay? Number one, be on your guard. Be on your guard. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. If David, a man after God's own heart, isn't immune to the desires of the flesh, then neither are we. Every single one of us in this room, we've got some kind of sin that we are attracted to. Something that, that we want more than other things. It's that one, if there was a trip holding your life that you're going to fall for almost every single time, that's it. Satan knows it. You know it. And what I'm trying to tell you, what David would tell you if he was standing with us right now is this. He would say, guard your heart. Make sure you're setting yourself up for success, okay? Make sure you're not going out on the, uh, the, the porch and looking over the city and looking for women during this time of day. David knew what he was doing, okay? Guard your heart. The second thing, God always forgives. God always forgives. First John 1 John 1.9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. The incredible thing is this. As much as David has sinned, God still forgave him when he repented. You see, we are never gone too far for God to save us. There's nothing that you have done that God won't forgive you for, okay? Whatever it is, whatever that sin that you guys think about when I talk about this is, that's tearing you apart, that you feel like God can't forgive you for, if he can forgive a murderer, if he can forgive an adulterer, if he can forgive somebody who's completely ruined lives, guys, I promise you, he can forgive you for whatever it is that you're running from. Okay? Stop running. Tell him he already knows. And then apologize. Accept the forgiveness and hope that God has for you, the promise that he's, he says, hey, I, I will forgive you. This is my favorite verse in all of Scripture, okay? If you will confess your sins, Josh, if you'll confess your sins, he will forgive you, okay? He, he, he doesn't stop. Because you've messed up, Josh, you're going to mess up. God wants to forgive you. He wants to, but you've got to confess it. Number three, sin has consequences. Sin has consequences, guys. Like I said, I don't know what your sins are. I don't know what it is, that, that one thing that just holds you back in your relationship with God. The, 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 the stubbornness, that thorn in your flesh as it would be. It's got a consequence. When we choose sin, when we choose our flesh over what God wants, there's always going to be a consequence that comes with that. Sometimes those consequences are to us. Sometimes those consequences are to other people. But there's always a consequence for what we do with our sins. Don't think there's not, okay? Your sins will find you out, the Bible tells us. And it happens in every one of our lives. And for some of us, man, like you're facing a consequence of someone else's sin. Man, I'm sorry. We're going to talk about that here in just a second, okay? Number four, healing is available. Healing is available, just like we just talked about with forgiveness being available. I will restore you to health. I will heal your wounds. God's not going to hold over your sin on you. Like we said, there's consequences to it. But God's not going to hold this over you. God's not going to just keep you stuck in your sin forever and ever. He's not going to keep just reminding you of it. 
God will show you how to move forward with this healing process. But it will take time. Like we said, there's consequences. There's things, there's punishments that must be faced to this. But there's a chance for us to, to say, hey, God, I really am sorry. I really am just, I'm repentant right now. And you see this in Psalm 51 with David. You see his heart. And you see how long this time takes over. If you finish reading out the book of 2 Samuel here, I promise you, you're going to see a broken-hearted guy. You're going to see a guy who really is trying to, to get right. He makes some bad decisions. And God says, hey, I will restore you. The last thing I want you to see is this. For the people who are facing those consequences of someone's sin who's not yours, that's who Bathsheba was, right? She was somebody who, um, who was brought in and probably taken advantage of, okay? God is with you. God sees this, right? And listen, I know for sure, like, it couldn't have been easy to be Bathsheba. It couldn't have been easy to, to lose her husband and then to lose the baby right after that that she carried. It had to be hard for her. Now, God does give her another baby with David, and, and we all know who that is. As a matter of fact, we talk about him quite often. His name's Solomon. But God was with her. God knew her. Listen to Isaiah 42, 2 through 3. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God. The truth of the matter is, is that sometimes, guys, bad things happen to us. And for some of you guys in the room, like, you know this better than others. Some of you guys, you've had some stuff happen to you, and I am so sorry that it's happened to you. You've had some abuse happen to you that, that it's just not right. And you've been holding on to it because you don't know where you can go with it. I want to let you know, I'm here for you. Your leaders are here for you. We'd love to talk to you and try to help you when it comes to the, the healing that God has for you. I know it doesn't make sense. For Bathsheba, it didn't make sense to her why this would happen. But listen, we're here to talk to you. We're here to point you back to Jesus. So what I want to tell you today is this. No matter where you find yourself in these five steps, all five steps are available to every one of us. God is a God of mercy. God loves you. God forgives you. But you cannot keep going on sinning. You cannot keep going on chasing the desires of your flesh and wrecking everyone else's lives around you, including yours. That's what we see with David right here. You have to realize there's a consequence to your sin. God forgives, but there will take time to fix it. And for those who are hurting, seriously, we're here to talk to you about this. So I don't know where this lands with you today, but I want to give you a second just to respond. So if you will, bow your heads, close your eyes, and just take 30 seconds. Take a minute. Talk to God about what's standing out to you right here in this story of David and Bathsheba. Then I'll pray over you. I'll get you out of here.
Hey, God, uh, I thank you, Lord, for um, this passage of Scripture. God, it's a dark passage, but God, it's a true events that happen. And God, we know that, Lord, through studying this passage, that God, you're a God who loves, but God, you're a God of justice too. And so, Father, for the students in this room, Lord, who are continuing to pursue the things of their flesh, I pray that, Lord, they will see that, Lord, there are consequences to that. And that, God, you are a God of justice. That, God, you will not make anybody do what, Lord, they don't want to do. But, God, you've given them the spirit if they are a follower of you. And so they know the right things. And, God, for any of the students in this room who are pursuing, God, their flesh over you, I pray that, Lord, you'll show them. Show them, Lord, it's not right. Show them the way out. Show them the right to confession, God. Show them the path to life instead of the path that, Lord, they're locked into right now. God, I, I thank you, Lord, for the, the students in this room who, Lord, are following you. The students who are doing their best, God, to, to, to lean into your spirit every single day. That, God, they're, they're taking up their cross and they're trying to follow you. I pray that, Lord, you will continue to allow us to, to just pour fire on them, Lord. To pour just, Lord, your spirit into them. God, just be with them this week. Lord, as this culture, God, is trying to just, just smoke that flame out. God, for the students in this room, Lord, who have been harmed by God, other people's choices, other people's sins. I pray that, Lord, you'll just help them understand that, Lord, they didn't do anything wrong. That, God, there is hope that is only found through you. God, give them the courage to be willing to talk to someone. Give them the courage to be willing to, to go to a caring adult who, who really wants to point them in the right direction. God, wherever this story lands with us today, God, let us just take this away, God, and, and really just chew on this throughout this week. Let us seek you, God. I thank you for that. Thank you so, so much for meeting with us here today. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.